Welcome to the Iowa Idea Podcast. Join host Matt Arnold for in-depth conversations with artists, designers, entrepreneurs, and civic leaders as he explores how they approach their craft and represent a modern version of the Iowa Idea. This podcast tells the stories of Iowa natives, transplants, and friends who demonstrate the Iowa idea in the 21st century. The foundation of it is creativity and art. In this episode of the Iowa Idea podcast, I sit down with Andre Wright. Andre is a father, husband, creative, fashion activist, author, entrepreneur, and Iowa native. He is the co-founder of Humanize My Hoodie. Along with Jason Soule, The Humanize My Hoodie movement originated from a demand to end the killing of black and indigenous people across the world. Their mission is to debunk stereotypes by designing an elegant and revolutionary campaign for black and indigenous people of color to be humanized, not criminalized. Andre and I discuss his creative journey from Waterloo to creating hip-hop comics and the launch of Humanize My Hoodie and how Andre has embraced creativity throughout his life. We talk about the entrepreneurial approach to developing and scaling Humanize My Hoodie. I really appreciated Andre's energy, insight, and helping keep the interview spicy. It was an honor to have him on the show. I'd like to thank Andre for joining me. I hope you enjoy the episode. Andre, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here on the Iowa Idea podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. If you don't mind, could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, no problem. Um, first of all, my name is Andre Wright. Um, I would consider myself, uh, uh, first and foremost, a father of three, husband of one. Um, I do a lot of uh, community uh, mentoring. I do uh, a lot of different things when it comes to art. I'm a creative professional, someone born and raised in Iowa, uh, someone with a distinct um, way of doing things when it comes to like fashion, art, and design, and I'm somebody who uh, likes to think outside the box, man, you know, and likes to have a lot of fun. In addition to all those things, I'm also, you know, an activist, somebody who stands um, for principle and purpose, and um, I'm an artist, I'm an author, I mean, it's a whole lot of titles people have given me, it's depending on what you, what you want to call me that particular day, that's who I am, you know me. Yeah. Yeah. You got so many hats that you're wearing. Uh, one of the ones, if you don't mind, want to jump in. Uh, what I just think is just kind of an awesome blend of some of the stuff you do is fashion activism. Can you tell, uh, tell me a little bit more about uh, Humanize My Hoodie, its goal, and kind of how you got that off the ground? Sure, sure. So Humanize My Hoodie um, originated with my partner, uh, Jason Soule, who was a criminal justice professor um, at Hamlin University, and he had this idea of like going into the classroom and teaching his criminal justice students um, uh, in a hoodie for thirty for for the semester. And when I see him make make the post about what he was going to do, I was like, hey, and he's a he's a childhood friend at the same time. So don't let me don't let me leave that out. He's a childhood friend of mine. And when I saw that, I was like, hey, I think because. I have this, you know, fashion label, we could probably take this to a whole nother level and we could do this in a way that could be bigger than what you probably even imagined it to be with, with just be doing it academically. You want to join, you want me to, you want to partner up and like make this happen. So when he was like, yeah, man, let's, let's, let's investigate that quick and fast. And in the fury, we, we got it trademarked and uh, 
we then began to produce uh, Humanize My Hoodie and hoodies at a phenomenal rate. And people gravitated to it. They understood the message like we did. And um, next thing you know, one thing led to another. And it was a project and shortly became a brand. And from the brand, uh, the people chose it as the movement. So the, it's, it's almost kind of organic. It's, the people chose us to do this work. And um, they had known me for doing work in the community, uh, from mentoring to doing fashion shows, but, and Jason in his own respected rights from doing activist work frontline with, um, a lot of the, the action that was happening up there for Jamar and, uh, you know, rest in peace, Jamar and Philando, rest in peace, Philando. So he did a lot of the activist work. So he was already known for doing this type of stuff. I was already known for doing the fashion activism side. And what we're saying with fashion activism is like, you know, like every, everybody has a purpose. And when you wear these garments, this is like you saying, like, this is what I, what I believe in. This is my message. This is like activism without you even having to say a word. So it's, it's using garments as a way to speak out against injustices that happen to people. But it's also um, from the garment, you know, materials that you, that, that, that are interwoven in it. Like, where does these garments go to the landfills? So it's people that speak, speak out against the landfills and, you know, garments being the number two item to go into the landfill, we definitely want to prevent that from ha happening. So I think the fashion activism term is a holistic term. I'm just saying like for my lens, what my, my, yeah. my, my lens is like, yo, my activism is this, we fighting for black liberation. So with that being said, humanize me and humanize my hoodie is standing for black people and saying, Hey man, we tired of being treated like this. We try, we tired of, um, being, being shit killed. You know what I mean? Like we right. tired of getting killed out here. So, you know, we, we gonna stand up on this and this is our print is humanize me now, like right now, you know, not tomorrow, humanize me now. So, um, that's kind of the principle we standing on, man. We excited about it, man, because it's, I think we making some headway, some real move, some real moves in the art world and the, actual you know activist world and the liberation world when it comes to liberating black and indigenous people of color hey right now we you know what I mean like we we actually doing that so man i ain't got no ill feelings right now you know what i mean like because it feel good to be able to see something you know from a classroom an idea come to fruition and then me be a part of that and help it you know what i mean bring it to life you know we planted that seed man not a seed then grew to a to a weed i mean from the weed to the to the branches to this you know blossoming tree you know what i mean and we got the whole world behind it you know what i mean so it ain't just the iowa thing i know this yeah. the iowa podcast but yep. it's a global thing so everybody in iowa should be proud about this you know what i mean for real like we're giving iowa an opportunity to be a part of history you know what i mean yep like straight up man this is what this means that's what this this whole thing is about man like we making history with this stuff well, and I, I love what you and Jason have done. And, you know, some of the themes for the podcast too, right, is collaboration, creativity. And yeah. so just knowing that you were able to collaborate with a friend and doing something new and like, and then uh, for folks that might not be aware too, you, you've been able to take this to fashion week in New York and able to document that experience, which was, and you have a, you have a documentary on it, which I found to be incredibly powerful. And so I'm, I just, I love what you guys are doing with Humanize My Hoodie because I, I think you took something relatively common that people see and work on destigmatizing what it means. And so I love how you took it from idea to kind of a global movement. 
Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, man. Like like you were saying, man, for real, like from, from an idea to global movement. So there's a lot of things in between. But, you know, like at the basis of it is creativity. The foundation is art, creativity. And the way we are able to, to think about, you know, our movement and like the way like like the core in, the core energy for black people is creativity. You see what I'm saying? We just opened up our box and said, you know what? We about to share this with the world. This is how we about to do it. You know what I mean? Like we know how people gonna feel once they once they once they put it on their body. It's it's a whole holistic movement. It's other than like other than just the words. Like think about what black kids put these on, man. Like they done seen all these celebrities wearing in see me J rep. You know, like front line, like in movement spaces. You know, with allies, you were part of this too. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, so let's keep it real. So, like, think about when the black babies put these these hoodies on, man. They looking at things at a at a different at a whole different level. Like they working at their their highest capacity because they they know what this this movement stand behind. It's not like them just wearing a hoodie now. It's like, yo, we know what this stands for. So this is our protection and shield. And if we feel like we need to stand out against something, we're gonna be able to do that with our hoodie on and say what we gotta say. That's great. Yeah, I want to uh, speak of babies. Could you t- walk me through your journey? Because I know you've been you've been basically creative from day one. But do you mind talking to folks about like kind of your your journey in, in expressing yourself creativity creatively and leveraging creativity? Yeah. Um, so I'm originally from Waterloo, Iowa, born and raised. Um, I grew up with a mother and father in the home, which wasn't you know really typical in my neighborhood. You know, um, but we were poor, you know, so that's where a lot of my creativity stemmed from is like, man, we didn't have nothing. We couldn't buy all the, the nice toys and, you know, get the new shoes and all this stuff. So I would just create them like paper doll type stuff. You know what I'm saying? I, I vividly remember standing in the government cheese line, you know, with my mother. And even this weekend, it was her birthday. So I got a chance to go up to talk to her. And we talked about the garage sales we used to go to and like how big that was thrifting back in the day because we couldn't afford, you know, nice clothes like the rest of the people. So that was like my childhood, man, growing up. And I grew up in the back of a park, Ferguson Field Park. Shout out to Waterloo and everybody <laughs> um, that still reps Ferguson Field. That was my that was our playground. And um it, a lot of my creativity stemmed from that park. I'll be 100% honest because it would be days it would just be me and it'd be the activities in the park and it would just be the clouds. So a lot of it would be creativity and I would take that energy and I would go back home and I would make stuff and create stuff that was like, you know, like the next level stuff. So um, I took that same energy, man, and, and I took that energy and I put it into, you know, like I'm just a bigger version of that, I think. You know what I mean? Like once I once I look back at like, my life and like the way I still draw and stuff like that. It's like, I'm just a bigger version of that. Now I'm putting it into a more of a holistic 3d. Like it's like, I'm designing my world now. It's not like not on paper. It's like, I could actually make some of the stuff that I was creating back then as a kid. So it's a little bit different from that aspect. Um, but in addition to like growing up in an all black neighborhood, I grew up in an all white neighborhood too, predominantly white neighborhood. We had a few black families, but predominantly white neighborhood, um, from my from my like sixth grade year to like that shit till I graduated high school, you know, and so that's where I met Jason. Is it that neighborhood? He actually moved there, and so we met when I was in like what I was. We probably was both in. T- I was in tenth grade. He might have been in eleventh grade or something like that. And um, I learned a lot during that time as well, just di- how to deal with different, 
you know, types of people because I didn't know how to deal with white folks back then. And I don't think a lot of my friends, even to this day, they don't know how to have those type of interactions with, you know, white people. But but I do because I grew up in those those environments. So I got a chance to understand family structures. And I think that that also, you know, contributes to the work that I do. You know, like I have a different lens and a different way to do design and a different way to think about it from two different aspects of of life from Iowa, which is interesting, you know? So I bring all that up just to keep the interview um, yeah. a little bit spicy and a little bit more interesting too, you know what I mean? No, I love it. Yeah, and and uh, from from design and, and creative, I know a big thing is also, you know, how, how many different perspectives can you look at something as you're trying to understand it? And so even having two different systems, like seeing neighborhood systems, right? And what's, what's working in one, what's working in another, what do I want to take from this? What do I want to celebrate, right? And then, ways that that can inform you. I got a yep. question about hanging out in parks too. Cause uh, you know, as a, as a kid, I yeah. think some of it too, I, I mean, our age too, we didn't have devices where we could be connected to everything. So you had to make your entertainment a lot. Yeah. Right. But yeah. uh, do you find yourself today? Like if you get stuck, maybe you don't get stuck creatively, but if you get stuck, do you still like to go to a park and kind of gaze up at the clouds and think back? Yeah, man. I, I And I do get stuck. I'm a seasonal artist. I like to, well, I was a real seasonal artist with like creating a clothing line and finding inspiration to create garments. I used to get stuck a lot. That's what, that's where a lot of my travels stem from. A lot of my big shows, and I'll bring some of this stuff out too, because yeah, it's yeah. good info. Um, a lot of my big shows was done, you know, like, over like thinking about it and like the, the manifestation was like in places like Germany and places like Japan, I would, I would think about these things and then I would come back and actually do them. Like I did a circus in the middle of Clinton street. That's like one of the busiest streets in Iowa city. You know what I'm saying? Yep, so to yep. do a circus with like five, it was an actual circus. We had like acrobats, silk acrobats. People were doing like silks way up in the air. Everybody had costumes on. They came out of a tent. We had a ringmaster. So it was like a real circus, man. I'm not just making this up. Like, yo, it was like a circus because it was a lot of people there. No, it was like a real actual circus with fashion and the, the yeah. whole nine, you know what I mean? So like a lot of those ideas originated over in Germany, man. When I was in the mall, I saw something. I was like, oh, I want to bring that back to you know, uh, to states. And that's what I did, you know? And so, yeah, some of those ideas do stem from the park, man. You know, I, I still find myself uh, daydreaming when I ride my bike, you know, it's usually going in fields and pastures and park, you know, that, yeah. that type of vibe. So I still can, I can tap into that place when I'm, when I'm out on my bicycle, I feel like I can tap into a, a real uh, childish or childhood spot yeah. um, uh, during that time. So yeah, man, I do, I do it from, from time to time. So what brought you from Waterloo to Iowa City? What brought you to Iowa City? Um, so I went to school here. Uh, me and my wife both went to school here. Uh, I had gotten some trouble back at you and I moved in with my wife uh, or my wife now, but she was my fiance at the time. I was living in Cedar Rapids and I needed to do something, man. Like, like to be 100% honest, man, I didn't really know what I was going to do with my art. I always knew I was talented. I knew I could draw. I knew I had all these skills. But I didn't really know where where it was gonna lead me. You know what I mean? I knew I can I could do some design stuff, and this was before, you know, like them summers. I worked I worked hard them summers, man. Like I mean, for real, I worked hard because a lot of this stuff, a lot of my design stemmed from like learning it on my own. So once I felt confident enough to be able to go into those programs, 
I enrolled at the University of Iowa, and that's what brought me to Iowa City um, back in 2003. So I've been in Iowa City since 2003. So I'm kind of an Iowa City and now, you know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, you've done a lot. So you, you've, been, uh, you've been like a community connector. You've been an entrepreneur, right? Uh, starting multiple fashion lines. Uh, you want to talk about uh, Born Leaders United, where that came from? Yeah, man, that came, that really came from a F you to New York, man, to be 100% <laughs> honest. Like I had, I had got a, an opportunity to go to New York on, based on one of my other companies. It was called Tailgate Barn. It was a, 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 tailgate, a tailgate clothing company that celebrated the tailgating lifestyle in Iowa. And I was a black dude doing it, so it was super dope because that's not really, you know, that, I mean, let's be 100% honest, man. I'm going to keep it real with you. That's not really stuff, man. You know what I'm saying? But we, we used to participate and we used to be out there and I understood to a, a level that I could create designs from it. Not infringing no University of Iowa designs. It was my own stuff. So when I got that opportunity um, to, to go out to New York to meet some executives, I, I can mention this executive because he's one of my friends. His name is Craig Kalman. Um, and it's funny because the circles are kind of turned now. He back on my squad, you know what I mean? Like, I um, mean, he with, he with, he's with Atlantic. And during that time, man, I was expecting something for those guys, and it didn't happen. So what I did was come back to Iowa, and I said, he, I remember one thing he said. He said, man, you got to take over your your town before you come and try to take over, you know, a big place like this. And I was like, man, I could, I've already taken over my town. And he just didn't see me. So I went back and I tried to make myself get seen a little bit bigger. And I was like, okay, well, what's, what's important to me? And I started just – I was working at a full-time job at the time, and I created this – this smiley face based on like my whole mantra of who I am and what I do. And that's where it came from. It started from with blue collar. And it was like me saying, man, I'm hardworking. Um, I'm Midwest. It's like, we, you know, we, we got a, we got a middle-class, like it's, it's like we blue collar, you know what I mean? We not, we not with all that corporate stuff, man. We street from the streets, man. And I was like, all right, man, I'm gonna start a street level and it's going to be called blue collar. And the, the real, the real th- passion behind it was, Born Leaders United. The BLU was the, yeah. the – see, people didn't see that, though, back then. They just saw Blue Collar because it was catchy and it was cool, you know. And so that was the, that was the thing, and that's what, that was my principle that I was running on. And, I mean, to be 100% honest, man, I didn't even know if that was work. It was a challenge to myself because you got to think, man, I started a business when I was in college with my friends, um, and it was a hip-hop, tale, hip-hop comic book called Hip Homic. Yeah. And, and so that was successful. We were published in New York magazines. This is back in 04, 05. People don't even know this. We were published in New York magazine, Mike magazine, doing com- comics for Erica Badu, Trick Daddy, Common, all these folks back then. This was way back then. This was in college. So we were successful with that. Tailgate Barn, that was a, that was a super success. I mean, it got me a meeting with one of the biggest record labels in you know, the, the, the United States. So that was a big success. Then, listen, so Born Leaders United was a challenge to me. Can I do this again? Can I make something, can I, can I turn this water to wine? And that's what, I, that's what it was. It was an idea. I put the shirts out. In fact, all my friends would tell you, I gave them shirts just to wear. Like, it was like, it was almost like a joke, man. It was like, hey, man, wear this and see what, you, what kind of response you get. The whole mantra behind the smiley face was like, everybody was kind of dealing with something like from a mental capacity and the smiley face, the small thing that you could do for one person one day was just make them smile. 
So if you were to smile at somebody, they would smile back. How do you, you know, that would, that could change a person's whole day. So that was kind of my whole thought and how I was able to use that from an artistic standpoint and make it so simple. The simplicity of yeah. the design was able to be digestible for kids to form adults, you know, and I think that's important, you know, and I never get a chance to really talk about the actual design principle behind that smiley face and why it meant so much to people. And I didn't even understand it till the stuff blew up. And then when I started doing the shows, you know, it was one of those things where it's like, I wanted to, I wanted born leaders United to be, um, as holistic, when I say holistic, I want it to be at not. I, I don't like the word inclusive because it's it's a really a bad word and it's a bad word in the movement space. I I don't like that word. Can you? I wanted I wanted everybody to experience what Born Leader U, Leaders United was. So I created those shows in conjunction with that. But in addition to that, I also knew that nobody else was going to give Black people opportunities. So you got to think some of those shows I did like from a circus show to bringing hot cars out to having the cars light the runway to doing the first alleyway show. They ain't, look, ain't nobody even did no alley shows. I'm talking about alleyways. Mm -hmm. Come on, man. That's like next level stuff. A whole party in the alleyway. On top of that, to do a show that was just for black people. To say, hey, man, look, this show is called All Black Everything. We got black production people. We got black artists. We got black designers. We got black, you know what I mean? everything black matter of fact you gotta wear black to come to the show now i'm just kidding but you know what i'm saying like the whole show was like like straight up like nobody had i mean for one my friend my black friends used to be like man you ain't gonna do that show man you can't you gonna say that man i'm like yep i'm gonna say that and if they don't come i don't care but i'm still gonna do it and you gotta think that was a big risk for my brand yeah i love it because i mean it wasn't it wasn't a brand that was it wasn't like humanized my hoodie it was i mean i knew what i wanted to do but it you know what I'm saying? Like, it wasn't like humanized my hoodie. Yeah, what I love, because just, you know, doing a lot of work on, on brands, a strong brand is authentic, right? So, for sure. So you could own it. That was you, right? And so you're not, when you're not making stuff up, you're, you're always on brand, right? So when you're on authentic, so I, I love it. I also respect the challenge, though. Uh, I mean, step, stepping out there. Hey, man, seriously, because look, it could have flopped. <laughs> and you know when things flop it, it at the end of the day it do hurt your ego you know what yep. i mean like especially from an artist standpoint you are you want everything to be a, a hit right you know what i mean like it's like you don't want to put it out if it ain't no hit it's like you know it's a hit so for all these things to just happen and you know um really you know people recognize the work now I, you know I'm, I'm just grateful and thankful that i'm i'm one of those people that can be the person to do that for others you know, just because I'm 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 a real person, I'm glad it's not a fake person doing that stuff. You know what I'm saying? Or it's a person that's not like, like really ain't trying to do it. It's like I really do care. So when people really support me, they supporting a whole army of people. Because right. if you support me, you know I'm gonna give it back to the next person. All I'm trying to do is put people on. As long as I'm on, everybody else on. Awesome. Uh, help me help me understand. One of the things you you said uh, just a couple minutes ago was. Uh, the word inclusive or inclusivity, why that, that can be problematic with the movement. Can you help me understand that a little bit? I think just, I, I'm, I think, it, let me, let me just speak in terms of just right here in Iowa city. I've been saying it's not inclusive because that, that word has been used as rhetoric, man. But like, 
if we if we talk in like ownership, we talk about school boards. Let's talk about the makeup of companies and like how things look. Let's talk about my neighborhood right now and like how how what my neighborhood look like. Man, this ain't no inclusive place. It's inclusive as far as population. We might have, you know, a, a number of different constituents that live here. Yeah. But we don't own nothing. So that's what I mean. That's why I don't like yeah. to use that word. I mean, other people might like to use it just for me and the movement that I'm trying to start here. It's like, man, y'all got to stop using that word. It's a kind of a naughty word right now until we get it right, until everything's actually are inclusive. It's right. almost kind of like lying. Yeah. You know, one of, uh, and a couple different things. I, I use this sometimes in the innovation space, the UX space. Sometimes I'll talk about companies doing stuff and, and I'll describe it as theater because they're just going through the motion. It's, it, it's not real. And so what I'm... Just want to yeah. check what I'm hearing. It's sometimes it might be inclusive theater where they're trying to make it seem include, but there isn't real inclusivity. Is that, am I close? Yeah, it's, it's like, yo, you, you want to talk inclusivity? Let's talk about equity. Let's talk about equity with inclusivity. If you're going to say inclusive, you definitely need to be adding equity to it now. Because we, we, don't, we don't care about like it just being inclusive in population. That's great, man. I'm, I'm happy yeah. about that. But what about all these people that are suffering? You know what I'm saying? And they family suffering and you living on top and you ain't even willing to share, but you still right. calling it inclusive. So I, I don't want to hear that yeah. until we get it fixed. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm telling companies that too. I'm going to companies. I'm saying the same thing. I've said it publicly. If anybody asks, they know that that's not, that's some, they know that's a naughty word. So please take that out your marketing language. Yeah. Everybody that's listening, y'all, you marketing design people. It's not, it's not a good word to use with the black population right now. Yeah. Unless you are actually providing equity to them, them people, you know, unless you right. provide equity, then it's a different situation. Want to jump back to some stuff with Humanize My Hoodie, because as, as an entrepreneur and the way you've been able to, to grow the brand and, and, and get more reach, one of the things that I was really excited about and, uh, you know, uh, Took, took the course, but you guys, uh, especially in COVID, you were able to, you were doing Humanize My Hoodie workshops for folks, and then you were able to pivot and put content online to help. That for me, how it helped is how to be an ally. And what does it mean to be an ally and how can I help? But I absolutely love that you guys put it out there, made it accessible. But can you talk to me, just walk me through that process, how you and Jason came up yeah. with the workshops in general and then had the quick pivot during COVID? Sure, sure. Well, Jason's been a trainer for like 11 years now. So that's kind of been his, his really heavy contribution to the movement work. He's been in the training space. Um, and so when he brought me the idea, obviously, I hadn't done no training. I'm like, all right, man, let's give this a shot. And we started doing them back in 2017. Our first one had like 35 people it was very impressive. The reason why we never really opened it up online is because they're very sacred spaces. And we were always trying to figure out a way to make it very private and sacred. And if you ever notice, mm -hmm. we never really advertised ally workshops because we really wanted to create a space where people could actually feel safe and not feel like we got the whole public coming and I'm not be, might not be able to talk about my issues because it's a lot of decompression that happens in those moments, right? I mean, we're talking about racism and prejudice and stereotypes and my, I mean, all these things that harm black people and indigenous folks and, and you know for for the matter of fact all people of color you know and so um with the digital workshop what the interesting part about it is like i i created the video and it's so raw because it was definitely almost kind of like a prototype because i'm not a video 
I'm not I'm I'm not a video person, but it was dope because I wanted to learn it. You, you know, and I, that's what I did during COVID. And I was bragging to all my friends, like, hey, man, I know how to create videos now. You need your next rap video. I got you, bro. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so I was I was bragging, and that was our first prototype. You got to think, my first video editing project was a two-hour video that we put out as a prototype. And we had it field tested with our, our allies. So we had a number of allies. We did the whole venture yeah. school thing, you know, where yeah. we said, hey, man, why don't y'all test this out, man, see if this is something that the public wanted. And once they tested it, and they went through it and they said, hey, man, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. It was like, all right, let's put this out, man. Let's let's give this to the public. And we did that purposefully. We did it all during COVID-19 in, in hopes that people would, like, actually be able to take this and, like, actually gain something from it. But what, what we – man, like, this thing has taken on its own life. Like, people really gravitated to it. And I think the lynching of George Floyd – really elevated that and they really gave people that really what it did is put people on notice of humanize my hoodie. Like we had already been doing the work and, but now they were like, Hey, that, that there's an actual company that's been doing this stuff for a long time. Let's actually, yeah. let's, let's just go do that with them. You know, they actually are the experts right now, you know? And so it just gave people to see our, uh, a chance to really see our lens of expertise, see how, um, we were able to pivot during COVID-19 um, as a small business. We were also struggling and trying to figure stuff out. And like, just like anybody else, man, we ain't no different. You know, we were trying to figure out what we were going to do next. And that was the thing that we were going to do was like, all right, we got to take everything digital. Now we can't be gathering people in spaces. We, you know, we want to protect our health. We want to protect the health of others. Let's create this digital platform, put it out. And it's been a scalable product, man. It's a, it's so amazing that this thing's been able to scale so fast with so many people from, you know, not just here in America, but from other countries, California, Texas, New York, everybody's kind of gravitating to the movement and the stuff that we're doing now, just based off the work that we've been doing previously. So we built the infrastructure for all this stuff to happen to us right now. So we're just excited about the opportunity that people really are taking the workshop. They're actually understanding the principles. They're taking the assignments. They're sending them back. I mean, this is great. And you got to think we got, we right now we have the voice of America with all those evaluations that people have taken. We actually have what people have been wanting to talk about in our, in our email. A lot of them. Yeah. What, what are some of the surprises for you on some of the, some of that feedback that you're seeing? Uh, the, you know, this isn't a surprise, but it's like the story that's been painted about black people in hoodies. It's a real thing, man. Like people really like white people really think that black people in hoodies are dangerous. It's still a real thing. I, you know, and I, and I think that even with the work that me and Jason doing and we can be laughable and playful and have families and all that, it still feels like it's so hard to destigmatize this thing, you know, like, it's, right. you know, so that's one thing that I noticed. The other thing I noticed is that there's a, a, a overwhelmingly amount of support that people would just want to say, hey, man, look, I got this. I can help with this. Or now that I know this, man, I'm going to do this, you, you know, and, and, and I think that not shocking, but it's like, I almost want to say, where you been at? Like, yeah. is it just you've been focused so much on your life that you can't see the life of other people? Or do you not watch the news? Do you not know about 
So, you know, I, I just I, I just kind of don't understand some of that stuff. But that's that's kind of shocking, I think, a little bit. I mean, to the point where it's like, man, what kind of resources y'all really need? Like, we'll give it to you. You know, like that. That I think that kind of stuff is a little shocking. But nonetheless, man, it's it's amazing that we got people to respond in that way. And you know, one of the last questions that we ask is, is there anything else? So my favorite part is always to just scroll down and read that section because it really lets the person tell us what they felt about the workshop. I mean, that's the, I mean, they could just breathe, right? They could say, thank you. Or, Hey, this is the most horrible experience I ever had, which we're okay with. Cause everybody's, it's not for everybody. It's for certain people. You know, some people might not like it. Some people might not like the stories. They might not like the music. It might be other stuff that maybe the video stopped the pause right here. But what what the what they what they got to understand is that the urgency of this being out there, we were we were urgently trying to put this out here for the people because we understood what was happening. We you got to think all these circles we done had, all these all these discussions. We like oh man, it's a super huge problem, man. Dude, this is we we know it's a problem, but man, we we're pinpointing the problem. Yeah. Yeah, I know for me personally, one of, one of the things that was helpful for me, and I shared this with you before, is the ally version. Then I felt like comfort, I, could, I could wear that. But as a, as a, as a white man, I was, a, I was afraid that I was going to be doing like kind of man and race explaining to people if I was wearing the original Humanize My Hoodie. But ally just made it so easy for me to put that on and have conversations. And so that's also with the ally workshop for me personally, it was like super helpful because Still trying, still trying, right? It's, yeah, of course. It's a life. It's yeah. this is a life journey. You you yeah. you you won't. You probably never fully understand the plight. Actually, you'll never understand the plight of black people, right? Or people of color. But the best thing you can do is try. You know what I'm saying? And empathetically, it's mm-hmm. a it's a process, man. You know what I'm saying? You are gonna mess up? Just dust yourself yeah. off, man, and get back up and, and keep going, man. Just like anything else. Yeah, that that's one of the one of the things I've been wondering about with all that's going on, to like kind of the conversations that are happening, and a lot of divisiveness in our country right now, right? And I, some of it I think is coming back, like you said, empathy, and for me, almost vulnerability. Like, yeah. can you can you say maybe I don't know, right? Rather than pretending you do know and telling everybody else, right? Like speaking from kind of a, a white perspective, like yeah. you know, I see some people that just dig in on what they think is the truth, and I think also confronting that that might not be the truth. Yeah, I think it. I think it's really hard for people. So sometimes they'd rather just dig in than say be vulnerable and say I don't know, and and maybe I could be a little bit more empathetic and see everybody around me is human first, right? Yeah. You know, like you said, decent, rather than, hey, look, that kid has a hoodie on. Must, must, must be up to criminal activity or hoodie's pretty utilitarian and it keeps the ears warm, right? It's like... Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, how can you hear me talk about all this greatness for art and I got a hoodie on with the yep. hood and know and, and still think ill of us. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? That's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It's like you can't think ill of people just because of what they're wearing, man. That's not I mean, unless they're wearing a Ku Klux Klan garment, then you should be really thinking ill of those guys. Those are the right. guys you should be thinking bad of. Like, mm-hmm. oh man, black people, you know, we we the most non-harmless people is on the planet, I think, or some of them for sure. Yeah. I want to uh dig back into another thing like from the business and entrepreneur side that I'm hearing. So I'm just I'm seeing this as a pattern 
Uh, Andre, Andre wants to figure something out, jumps in, learns it, leverages it, right? You said as a, as a, as a kid, you were, you were figuring out cre some creative drawing. Uh, you wanted to figure out stuff before you went to University of Iowa. Then you're, then you're figuring out some design stuff with uh, Born Leaders United. And then, you know, then you're figuring out how to scale stuff. I love both that entrepreneur side of figuring stuff out and then the learning by doing rather than like, yeah, I mean, you, you, you jump in, figure it out and then see where you can take it. Has that always been part of your makeup or did, did somebody help you or is that just kind of who you are? I think that's just who I am, man. I'm not, you know, people ask me, man, who your role models or who you look up to? I, man, it's hard for me to say, man. A lot of my, my passions came from Tupac, man, and stuff like that, man. You know, one thing I used to like to draw was Tupac's eyes, man. If I could draw Tupac's eyes perfect, I was having a good day that day, man. It's crazy because it was something about yeah. mystique about his eyes and the way I could draw them. You know, that was kind of how I was sharpening my sword back in the day, man. You know, I think when you go back to the entrepreneurship thing, I think that comes from a whole thing of being poor, man. You got to think, man, we was on welfare. You know, and my mom and them still poor. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so, like, man, I'm trying to get it for that reason, man. Like, I want to I be able to do something special for my mom before she leave this earth. You know what I mean? Right, right. You know what I mean? That'll be real nice of me, man. Like, you know, my parents, you know, my mother, they came from Durant, Mississippi, man and got up here during the northern migration of the railroad. So you got to think, man, even talking to my, my, my grandma, I mean, my mother tonight, I mean, this weekend, and her talking about her mother, my grandmother, and all the stuff she fought for, man, I think it's just in my blood, bro, like straight up, man. It ain't nothing. I don't think it's nothing that you could recreate or I could teach somebody. Yeah. Um, one book I like to read is um, uh, it's the, it's the, it's the book of uh, – Seth Godin, uh, yeah. and he mentioned in tribes about shipping and like, sometimes we sit and we wait on ideas and stuff, man, just ship that shit, man. Just get it out to the people. Like you won't never know, even with the typos sometimes, man, stop trying to make everything so perfect. Yeah. Life is like, cause your life ain't perfect. So why would you try to make designs? And I, I know I, I get to that point too, where I try to make stuff perfect, but I think the best thing for people to do is a ship and experience. And then tweak, yep. ship, experience, and tweak. Yep. Like that's that should be your your flow. Just keep ship. learning and iterating, right? Yep. It, because the more you put out, the more you um, can learn from it. The more you can change. That's what design is, right? Yep. That's that's what design is. It's it's just the fundamentally changing something that's that's broken. So if you really want to be a good designer, you got to put out a lot of things often, tweak, reshape then go back and redesign. That's the, that's the principle, you know? Yeah. And it, right. Like the learning is you got to be open to, you might not have had the right solution. Right. It's like, for sure. That's why it was important for us to put the workshop out. We sat on it for a while. Like I'm like, man, let's shift this stuff, man. Let's see what people say. And I'm glad we did, you know, we shipped it right before George Floyd. That's why it felt like, that's why it felt like it was like, Oh man, we put they, these guys put, put that out during George Floyd's murder. I'm like, nah, man, we had this out a long time ago. Right. That's why you can see us in the mask and stuff. And we talk about COVID-19. We won't even mention George Floyd in the Ally workshop. Yeah. Uh, garage sales, just fun side story, I think. You know, so I grew up in Rockford, Illinois. Uh, so kind of, you know, failing factory town, right? Because a lot of those factory jobs, when they went away, they don't come back, right? But uh, so I, I find it funny now, because uh, as a kid, I remember going to garage sales. They said, but now when you hear people going to garage sales, it's more like a hipster thing because they're thrifting, right? 
Yeah, man, it's something that my man, my my knees used to hurt. My knees and ankles. Bro, my mom used to walk, look, cut off jeans, shorts, with tank tops. And we would walk, I'm talking about, it used to feel like, man, I swear it used to be 100 miles, man. <laughs> By the time I got home, man, I didn't want to do nothing for the rest of the day. On them days, I didn't even like doing that stuff back then. But, you know, it was with my moms. That was our time, man. You know, me and my, me and my brother and my mom. That was our time. We would go everywhere, man. I'm talking about, I found some jewels during that time too, man. Like she would give a, get us a toy every now and then, but mostly that's where our clothes would come from was from the garage sale. She would go get garage sale clothes, man. So, you know, yep. I would have every now and then have something really cool, but for the most part it was, you know, it was trash, but it was all right. good. You know? Awesome. I, we were talking a little bit about uh, uh, mentors and advice uh, how about you now, as a role role model for other people? What what advice do you have for other entrepreneurs or designers? I would say, you know, uh, first have a story. What's your story, man? Let's let's figure out what the backbone of what you're trying to do. Have that story down. I spent a lot of time working on my story, man, to the point where, you know, there was pieces I would leave out of my story. But I think now I'm more like vulnerable to. I'm telling my whole story, man, and I don't care if you don't like it or not. You know what I'm saying? So try to find a, a place where you can do that um, and become and give out the most, you know, authentic version of yourself as you can. And I think once you get the story down, a lot of the other stuff falls in place. Um, you know, from an artist, then you decide your medium, right? Like what, what medium do you want to work in? Is it graphic design? Is it textiles? Is it this? Is it that? And that's how you use that as a, a way to – you know, that canvas as a way to tell that story, whether it's video, whatever, whatever it is, you know, it could be something in the tech world too. Um, and that's the entrepreneurial side, right? Like just figuring out like, yo, this is my thing or this actually works and let me give this a try and monetize it. I think we're in a very special time. We're looking at the gift horse right now. You got to think everything's shifting. So if you do got something right now, this is the time to actually be working on it or, or, or crafting it and, and putting it together because I think the world's changing um, to a way where it's more less high, hopefully it's less hierarchical and it's more of a network based thing. So you could, people could actually win. You know, I think that's what people really want. Um, then the lastly, I think, you know, the most important part is execution. You can have the story, you can have, you could be trying stuff, but if you cannot execute, that's a problem. You got to, so sharpening your sword, they say, you know, 10,000 hours, you know, when you don't see me, you know, I'm working. I'm not sitting in front of the TV. I'm not doing too much of the media stuff. I'm actually working. I'm working towards something. Either I'm like building a design or I'm thinking about the next design or I'm writing down my next idea. So just continuously sharpening that sword, putting in them hours, understand that it's not going to happen overnight and uh, don't give up and don't quit. Right on. Thanks, man. Was there anything we didn't cover today that you, any other things oh, that you were man, thinking? This was, a good, this was a good nine o'clock in the morning discussion, <laughs> jam, man. I hope, hopefully, you know, I'm, I'm competing. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to live up to all the other podcasts you got on here, man. I hope <laughs> this was one of the, the classic ones for you, you know? It is. No, this was great. And in, in all sincerity, it, it, truly an honor to, uh, to have you on and taking time. I know, there's so many things that you're doing. You and Jason are doing great work. So I really appreciate you. you taking some time and, and indulging me in the, the long form podcast, right? Because this is what we're trying to do is let's talk about ideas because 
in in short tweets or Facebook posts, it, it sometimes it's hard to get what's sitting behind these big ideas. So I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your gifts. No doubt, man. Appreciate you, man, for providing a space for me to talk about my gifts and all this <laughs> stuff. So appreciate you. All right. Well, you you have a fantastic day, and I uh, hope to see you see you in person, healthy soon. <laughs> no, no, no doubt. Likewise. See you, man. Right. Thank Take you so care. Much. Bye. Yeah, see you.